Hey, you're listening to the Cole Podcast. We're talking about the business of blacksmithing, machining, starting a business, and keeping it running. I'm your host, Nathan Brandt. Today, I'm going to kind of go through some of the stuff that we've been doing recently. Um, A big shift has occurred in the shop where up until this point, we've been using manual milling machines. Uh, In the beginning, when Andy and I started the company, Honestly, we were using um, a little drill press. We had two drill presses. One of them was uh, broken and had a, a wonky table that we were constantly fighting. And the other one uh, we actually still have and use daily. But um, when we needed to machine something and make it perfectly flat, we would use an angle grinder. And we would kind of take our time. I'd use a Sharpie, do like a crosshatch pattern on the top of the part. We'd grind it flat, do another cross hatch. I'd, I'd touch it off with the grinder really quick and see where my high spots were. Um, the more I learned about machining and if you know anything about hand scraping or anything like that, I was kind of recreating hand scraping using an angle grinder. And honestly, that served us okay for a long time. Uh, well, less than a year. Um, but... It, it taught us to be really mindful of how we are grinding things. It taught me how to use an angle grinder and really finesse parts. Um, something we've really picked up recently. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of people through the shop at this point. We've had people helping us build press frames. We've had people building dies, uh, welding fixtures and fabricating components. And I've had enough people through the shop to know that uh, grinding with an angle grinder or a belt belt grinder, all that, it's it's just a huge skill. It's something that is actually pretty hard to find. And and I know a lot of welders make jokes, you know, this grinder makes makes you the welder you aren't or whatever, but uh, grinding something, getting a consistent, even beautiful finish is incredibly difficult and takes a lot of time to get the muscle memory down. I'm convinced at this point, you know, you've just got to do it. You've got to be forced to grind things by hand for a really long time. Uh, Between that and some of the production jobs Andy and I would pick up, you know, we would be grinding just a lot of parts and just a lot of manual manipulating material. Um, So... You know, when we got our first milling machine, we got a uh, old Chevalier knee mill, you know, basically a Bridgeport clone uh, at an auction. It was kind of our first real auction. There was an auction down in Indianapolis, this little uh, job shop, prototyping shop uh, closed down and uh, they were selling off all the equipment and Andy and I went to, to buy a mill. They had several for sale and, um, it was really exciting. It was incredibly exciting. I just remember going, you know, we got some cash out and we're looking over all these pieces of equipment and we're just thinking, you know, we, we have arrived. We're, we're buying our first mill. Like this is just awesome. We are really doing something here. So anyway, we, we uh, kind of argued back and forth about what we were going to buy and 
you know, what was worth money and what wasn't. They sold a bunch of these really cool belt grinders, like belt sanders, these little, probably two horsepower, three horsepower, maybe more, I, I don't know. But they had a really big wheel just directly mounted to the motor and then a little idler pulley. And they had a bunch of them and they sold for, I don't know, like a hundred bucks. And Andy and I were both, at the time, we were like, well, you know, that's not really valuable. I don't think we need one of those. Eh. And uh, looking back, you know, we could have had one of those in every station by every single mill because one of the biggest pains, ugh, one of the biggest frustrating, annoying little things, every time you machine something, you need to deburr it. And if you're machining a lot of parts, you're going to spend some time deburring. Um, you know, every part that comes off the bandsaw gets deburred. And anyway, my point is... Uh, I wish we had bought all of them, um, but we there were two knee mills we were interested in. One was in really nice shape, and uh, when the bidding started, it got up to right under two thousand bucks really quick. And we thought, ooh, that's way more than we were expecting to pay. Um, so the second one came up; it was a little rougher. And uh, I think we paid something like $1,300 for it with all the fees and stuff. I think we ended up paying about $1,400 for it, which was a lot of money. Um, you know, when Andy and I started, everything was cash. So we're buying tools out of the profit of the business. And so, um, you know, every press sale, we would, we would just put a little bit aside, a little bit aside. It was not organized. Um, we were you know, blacksmiths. We weren't, <laughs> we weren't business people, but anyway, so we, we buy that first knee mill and, uh, as we start hiring people to help us, I realize, you know, we're going to need another mill because one of the big things that we were doing, we get plasma cut components from our steel supplier and then we, uh, face off the top. That's the die holder. That's the surface that the die sits on. We want that really, really flat um, because we've got a fixture that we build and machine that fits in there and kind of clamps everything together. And so you need all the surfaces to be relatively flat. Basically, the, the flatter it is, the better. And so, you know, Andy and I, are, we're selling a lot of presses and we're feeling really good. We we move out of my barn. We, we bought this new mill. Well, a very old mill, but we bought this mill. Um, and we're like, okay, we're going to take all of the profit and we're going to buy some equipment. So we bought a welder. We bought a saw, um, a grizzly bandsaw. And I will tell you what, that grizzly bandsaw, we have now had that for, I don't know, three, four years. We have run so much material through that thing. I don't remember the, the part number. I think it's a like a G62 or something like that. Um, it's the one, you know, it comes on a base. You have to buy the base separate. And it's a swivel head saw with a coolant pump and all that built in. And, uh, man, we have just, that saw has been awesome. Um, if I had to start over, I wouldn't hesitate to buy another one. Um, but so we buy a big mill. Uh, big, big for, at the time, we were, you know, this was a honking machine. I think we paid something like five grand for it. You know, I think it might even been more than it. It might have ended up in like seven with freight and everything. But this, this was a big mill and it was power feed uh, in every direction. Um, X, Y, and Z. 
and we thought, you know, this is a next step to automating these processes because the Chevalier, the very first mill, that was a pretty much 100% manual machine. It did have power feed on X, so you could turn it. You know, you're, fa- you're facing off a couple uh, parts. You could, you know, face it back and forth, but when we were doing big batches of parts, we would uh, actually overheat the little uh, janky, you know, Chinese made um, X power feed. So we, we got this big mill in and we're, we're setting up and we've hired a couple more people and we're asking them, you know, we're training them because when, when we're hiring people, generally they've got no experience machining, we didn't have any experience machining. The experience we had was going from an angle grinder to a milling machine. And man, we watched YouTube videos. I watched so many YouTube videos. Um, and then I would go and I would just try stuff because basically the, the real benefit of learning about milling on a manual milling machine, like a little knee mill is that when you're feeding those handles, when you're, when you're rotating the handles, you're feeding that work into the cutter um, you feel everything. You get that immediate response from that machine. And it kind of informs you on how hard you can push it, how fast you can put cutter, you that cutter into that material, how deep. Um, it just it just gives you all that tactile response. And so we, uh, we taught ourselves how to do that. So now we've gone from teaching that to trying to teach other people how to machine. Um, This is around the time I'm starting to learn about lean manufacturing and I'm reading all this stuff about Toyota and Taiichi Ono and the, you know, the lean production system and how you need to standardize everything. And I I read a book uh, called The E-Myth. I've talked about that one before. Really, really good. Really helped and informed my perspective on starting a small business and running it. Um, but basically, you know, so I start putting together these like sheets, uh, we call them our standard sheets. And that gives you information like feeds and speeds and what cutter to use and, you know, what your finished part dimensions should be and what, uh, you know, just kind of like placement for stuff. And, uh, so then we start using that kind of as a, as a go-to for a, a learning aid teaching aid, you know, we can set somebody up on that, get them the basics on milling on a, on a knee mill and then, uh, run them through making these parts. Um, and you know, that was awesome. That was super cool. We had a lot of trouble. Some people that we would bring in, uh, you know, they just, they didn't get it. And I think something that was important to figure out in, in, how we're doing things where, you know, we need people that have really good hand-eye coordination, uh, that are competent working with their hands as a baseline, you know, that's just a necessity for the kind of work we've, we've been doing. So if you don't have that, you know, it's really easy to just mess stuff up on the mill, especially. And, uh, you know, we always just chalked it up to, it's a learning experience, you know, like these bad parts and these broken cutters, whether it's us breaking stuff or it's one of our employees, like this is the cost of tuition to learn how to do these and and to learn 
how to teach people how to do this stuff. And, uh, you know, I think Andy and I were definitely intimidated by the idea of hiring a skilled tradesman, like a, like a real machinist or a real welder even. So what we did is we would pull from the local uh, vocational school. We'd get welding students in as interns. Um, that's been a big source for us of just like good talent of, of competent, uh, hardworking kids, basically. I mean, they're, they're in high school. Um, so we bring them in and teach them that stuff. But yeah, you get a, you get a, a real range of people coming through your door when you're doing that. And that was really good for us because it's scary to hire people in. And I'm always very sensitive to disappointing people. And so, you know, I don't like, no, no one I know enjoys firing, but in the, in the, you know, framework of an internship it was really easy to just call up the, the director of that, that program and just say, Hey, you know, this really isn't working out. We're going to let him go. Um, if you've got another person, send them our way. And so that took a little bit of the pressure off. It still sucked to have that conversation, but it just took the edge off. Again, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of, you know, we had been in business maybe two years, three years, maybe two, probably two years. And, uh, and it was all new. And, and again, kind of like I talked about earlier with the grinding, you just got to do it. It takes literally the experience. And we made a lot of mistakes, you know, things that now I look back on and, and I feel really proud that we were able to get past them. But I, I feel disappointed that I let people down and I didn't do things better. But, you know, that's that's the other tuition cost. So we're teaching people how to do that, how to run these manual machines. We're teaching about welding and fabricating, um, teaching them about, you know, speaking on that, coming from an internship, one of the things that we noticed, uh, the welding program interns, the students had a really good grasp of literally welding. They understood the process really well. But when it comes to fabricating, you know, measuring, laying out, setting things up, fixturing, welding, and dealing with distortion and movement and, you know, all of that, that's the stuff that they don't have any, they have no experience of. They have, uh, they have to learn it. They have to get it. And that's what, you know, we ended up needing to teach them. So we were doing that and we were adding to that, you know, that machining capacity and, and so that was pretty cool. That was really exciting. Um, so what's happened now that's really informing how I want to move forward is uh, we got a, a couple uh, CNC machines. Unfortunately, only one has turned out to be usable um, from a local shop that shut down. And it was part of this big this big deal that we did with another company. Um, and so we get, we got this old Fidal. Um, it's a VMC 15 XT, uh, I think. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just a solid old little, uh, vertical milling center, uh, machining center. And, um, Andy and I, because we taught ourselves how to machine on the knee mills, felt 
really competent and capable, like, hey, you know, this is new, but we'll figure it out. Um, we had, you know, the service techs out. We plugged the machine in ourselves. We got all wired up. We got, had the service techs come in to uh, check the machine out. And it, it needed quite a bit of work. Um, I think we ended up putting about seven grand into it total. Uh, we had to replace some of the most expensive components, including the, uh, I, I believe it's called the spindle drive, but it, it's kind of like the main computer that controls and kind of sends information everywhere else to the machine. Uh, we had to replace that, that hurt <laughs> and, uh, took, took quite a, quite a while to get all sorted, but you know, we get it up and running and then we had, we had no excuse for not using it. You know, we've, we've now sunk a lot of money into this machine, a lot of time and energy, and we aren't using it because we don't know how. So uh, once again, back to YouTube, I'm watching all these videos. I'm watching, uh, you know, NYC, CNC, and uh, at man unlimited who does a ton of stuff on Fidel's. I'm talking to people on Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm just getting all this information, but man, I've still, I'm just not able to figure it out. And it's interesting. This has happened quite a few times kind of in our, in Andy and I's experience of starting a business and running it, um, and, and learning about the maker process, like this making process. Um, Sometimes you have to get a teacher, a mentor, uh, you know, somebody that can fill in this little bit of information that you don't have. It's, it's almost like there's this puzzle piece that you can't get without experience, but you can't get the experience without having the puzzle piece. So that's what it felt like. So we're doing all this stuff and we're just like, man, you know, I, I, I just cannot figure it out. I can't figure out how how to set the machine up. Like I get some of the basic functions, but like I just don't feel comfortable. I, and and basically, what the puzzle piece turned out to be, I didn't understand how you communicate with the machine. I I just didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me at all. I didn't know what G code was. Like I got the basic premise of what it was, but I just didn't get it. And because I didn't understand, I couldn't even like design parts in my head. I I couldn't figure out how to even get started. And because of that, we just, we kind of floundered for a little bit. Uh, just, just trying stuff and, and really unable to, to figure it out for quite a while. So eventually finally, I'm just fed up. We we've reached out to all our local people and we're like asking them to come out and show us how to do this. And you know, it's just, it's not working. So I get on Google and I just search Fidal training. And first thing pops up is tier one machining out of New York. I call him. I'm just like, Hey, I, you know, we don't know anything. I can't, I can't figure out how to make parts on this thing we have it, we've put all this money into it, and it's really important that we do something with it, Um, because I think this is viable not only to make a lot of the stuff that we're currently making by hand, uh, you know, on the manual machines, 
but also I think it, it's going to open up a lot of opportunity. Uh, can you teach us how to do this? And so Andy and I set it up. We, uh, we agreed to a price for the class and, uh, we drove out there. Um, we had a very interesting time, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was just like about halfway through it's a, it was a three day class that we did and about halfway through, uh, everything just clicked. It just fell into place. And Andy and I kind of looked at each other. We were back at the hotel room that night and we were just like, yeah, this is it. This was what we weren't understanding. Once we understood how you communicate with the machine, everything else made sense. The G code, all that stuff didn't even matter because we, we just, we understood how you got, like how you got what you wanted from the machine. So that class was awesome. Super helpful. Um, we left early because of this massive snowstorm that was rolling in. Uh, the area that we left evidently got something like 24 inches of snow that over that weekend. Uh, so I'm glad that we, we left when we did, but, um, we came back and, you know, our responsibilities to the business kind of supersede some prototyping and and testing things and, and things like that. So we just kind of go back into the flow of, you know, humdrum, just doing work, ordering parts, keeping things supplied, dealing with uh, production and uh, just keeping things moving steadily forward. And uh, then I kind of start, I I just start using the machine. If I'm going to mill something, I go to the machine and I force myself to write a program. And uh, we're writing programs at the machine. We, we, another thing that we really haven't figured out at this point is how we take, you know, how we make a part in, um, we use fusion 360 and then how we send it to the machine, um, and have it work because we tried that and it definitely didn't work. It just crashed immediately. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm manually writing the programs and it's kind of like manual machining in that being forced to do that monotonous aspect of it where you're sitting and physically typing in, you know, I want you to do a G83, G99, R.01, like all that stuff. Um, I start, I, I just continue to gather understanding about how you communicate with the machine and how you get it to do what you want and kind of tips and tricks and little things about that process. And, uh, and so we, I I start to do two things, uh, break a lot of stuff, (laughs) which is, uh, unfortunate, but you know, a part of the deal, (coughs) excuse me, when we got, um, when we got these machines in, we just got, cases and cases and cases of tools and carbide inserts and tool holders. And, you know, I've been posting videos of me, uh, cleaning up, uh, a lot of that stuff in evaporust and, you know, taking it out and polishing it and getting it back into serviceable shape and then putting it right to work. And, uh, I am sure that the tolerances of some of the stuff, you know, the tools and stuff is not perfect, not like it would be straight from the manufacturer, but, 
for a lot of the stuff we do, it's great. And I'm able to find a lot of what we need in the stockpile of tools that we have. So I start using it and breaking stuff just like I did on the knee mill, you know, using it, breaking inserts, chattering stuff, flipping parts out of the vise, um, all of it, just doing it. Now that I've got that little puzzle piece and I understand, let's just get some momentum going. So um, as it sits right now, I've got a program for just about every part that we're making in the shop. And I'm able to make it in, oh my gosh, a, a, a fraction of the time that we've been spending doing it. Um, you know, there's a lot of efficiency and optimization that has yet to come that that's not even on the radar yet. Uh, because right now we're just doing one or two parts at a time, basic ops, like face it, drill it, flip it, face drill the other side. Um, I'm doing all my tapping outside of the mill. Literally, I have everything I need to, to tap in the machine. I'm just scared to. I just don't want to do it yet. <laughs> I'm just literally like not comfortable with it, so I haven't done it. Um, I'll work up to it. <laughs> but uh, so what that's done now, looking back over the last couple of years, I'm thinking, you know, if we had gotten a CNC machine a lot earlier, we would be way ahead, way ahead of the game at this point because I can program in repeatable parts and this is something that is just so vital if you're going to build and make and sell a product that product has to be made with repeatable parts. There's just no question about it. I've spoken about this before. You know, Henry Ford really struggled to implement this in the early days because they had uh, unstandardized standards of measurement. And they didn't have this like master perfectly flat thing to come off of for a lot of the stuff. So, you know, the better tolerance that you can hold and make everything the same, then the more uh, repeatable and uh, interchangeable, that's the word I'm looking for, the more interchangeable it'll be. So if I make a die set for one 16 ton and you know that customer orders another die set later down the road, I need to be able to send them that die set uh, no matter what vintage of press they have, and it fit into their machine and be, you know, accurate and usable. And uh, that's really hard. I, I know that when we were doing drill presses and angle grinders, you know, we were doing a lot of what's called fitting. We were literally fitting the parts to each other because every single one was different. Every single press was different. And so it would be nearly impossible for me to send a die set out for that that kind of a press that 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 way of making uh, is just not conducive to interchangeability. So looking at now the CNC, uh, you know, I can teach somebody the basics of machining, but it's going to be a long time until they can take parts off that are within a, a few thousands of one another. Um, 
you know, and there's a lot of variables there, especially for the kind of stuff that we do where we're working in like inch, a lot of inch and a half plasma cut plate and we're not machining all edges. So, you know, we might be pulling a measurement from an imperfect edge, which just adds a whole nother layer of variability into that. Um, for what it is, that that's fine. And that, that doesn't actually infect affect interchangeability all that much if at all um for the way that we've designed it but uh being able to put that part then into a cnc mill and have a program where the parts coming off of it are not only coming off faster and more efficiently because i can have a person put the part in turn the machine on and go and work on you know prepping the next part working on two machines at the same time um we've set up this little like cell where uh, you uh, one of the biggest things that happened also this was a couple years back um we saw a cosin automatic bandsaw on uh a surplus website and it was like 800 bucks and we thought wow that is a really nice bandsaw uh you know it's old but it looks like it's in decent shape um we had some questions about the hydraulics because they were all ripped out of it and we thought you know maybe this is why it's on this surplus site um but we thought heck you know we just paid when we bought that little grizzly saw we paid way more than that for for the little grizzly. So I think we paid like sixteen hundred bucks for the the little grizzly bandsaw, and this was a big industrial bandsaw. And so we got it in, and we got it set up, and it's an automatic bandsaw. And what that means is, it's got another secondary motor that powers the rollers. So when you put a bar in there. You set the length with a little uh, little solenoid switch, uh, uh, limit switch, and then every time it you know cuts through the part, the part drops down. Well, that limit switch releases and it turns the rollers on, rolls the part through the saw until it hits that limit switch and stops it again, and then it cuts it. And you know we would literally have somebody standing there cutting 10 20 foot bars of material and they would they'd have to you know set the bar up check the measurement for every single block cut it deburr it measure the next block set it up cut it deburr it i mean literally we would have somebody standing at the saw all day every day 5 days a week somebody was standing at that saw and when we got this automatic bandsaw and we had to do a little bit of work to it, man, it wasn't much. And now we rely on that saw so much because, you know, Megan, who does what we call our water spider work, which is where she's just running around the shop, refilling Kanbans, uh, making sure everybody has everything they need all the time. And so when somebody needs a part, she's got to, they're going to go to what we call our supermarket. They pull a bin with that's full of that part and take it back to their station. 
When they do that, they pull what's called a little Kanban card and stick it in a holder uh, at the end of the at the end of the row. And that tells Megan, you need to make more of these. It tells her what she needs to make, what she makes it out of, and how much she needs to make. And so then she'll go down. We'll, we just keep full sticks of material right right on a rack next to the saw. She loads the saw. She you know, sets the stop switch, the limit switch for that correct length. Um, Andy made this awesome fixture where you just you put what size uh, jig in the saw and that sets the length for you. Um, and it's all posted and you, you know, we've got all these different sites. Awesome. Um, and you turn the saw on and you walk away. And if there, if something goes wrong, which it's a super old saw, I think it's a, it's like an 80, I mean, it like 1980, it's an old saw at this point, but it just sits there and runs and, and it can run all day and only need to be fed material a few times, which is just outrageous. Like, Again, this is like moving from a manual mill. Well, it's like moving from a, an angle grinder to a like a knee mill. Uh, that was the grizzly saw. Well, this is moving from a knee mill to the CNC because it just sits there and cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts. It's awesome. So we've made a cell now where that saw is right next to the all the, a bunch of mills and a big lathe that we just put in. Um, and so you can have material cutting, you can be machining the material that you just cut, you can have it deburred, machined uh, in the in the CNC mill, we've got a uh, tapmatic set up on a little bridge port, so you can be tapping, you can just be walking around this cell, working on all these different stages of a single product or multiple products all at the same time, and it's just Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the efficiency compared to having someone stand next to a grizzly mill or a grizzly saw and, and then take that cart of, of cut blocks over to the grinder and then take those deburred parts over to the mill and then one at a time manually feed the parts through the mill. I mean, that was it. And for the longest time, we had these massive lead times and people were waiting months for a forging press from us because that's how we were building everything. I mean, we didn't know that we could be this much more efficient. It's, it's just not even, it's not even the same realm. It doesn't feel like, but you know, what that has really taught me is just how valuable even a little bit of automation is like the automatic bandsaw. You know, if I was starting this business over, I would buy a CNC mill. I'd buy a, a I'd buy a, a used old Fidal, something like we've got, and I would buy an automatic bandsaw. And buddy, I'd go to work. I mean, you know that 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 is is where you grow the scalability of your production, where you grow the scalability of, of making is when you can set things like that up really, really properly to make the parts for you as you kind of move through them. Um, you know, on top of that, if something goes wrong, you're, you're close by, but, um, Man, you can make a lot of stuff that way. You can make a lot of parts. So, um, 
I'd like to kind of delve into, you know, some of the specifics of, of what I've learned about the CNC, um, maybe do a YouTube video about that and, and go through what, what we learned about the machine, basically, uh, give some of the information that we learned in the class and just that understanding of how to go to the machine, turn it on and tell it what you want it to do. Uh, that's awesome and important. And I think, I think that would be really valuable. I I hope to a lot of people because it's, it's really important, um, to build in at least some automation into your product, into your service, into your, you know, whatever you're trying to make. If you're trying to make enough of it to sell, have it be repeatable and interchangeable, um, which is, is just, that's how you scale. That's how you scale making is you build in interchangeability and automation. Uh, And again, small scale, old machines, minimal capital, like just, just, it doesn't take much to make just an absolutely massive difference. I really appreciate you guys listening to me ramble on as I, I drove around here. Um, you know, check out our, uh, other episodes of the podcast, the Cole podcast. You can go to our Instagram, uh, Cole Ironworks on Instagram or, uh, Facebook forward slash, uh, Cole Iron and, uh, We've been posting a lot more on our YouTube channel. I've been working a lot with uh, David Delagardel out of uh, Cedar from Cedar Lure Forge. He's been doing a lot of videos and tutorials and some just amazing stuff. I, I just feel so grateful to be surrounded by such intelligent, competent, capable craftspeople. Um, we've and. Uh, I'm just I'm thankful for for all of it. I hope you're staying safe. It's a crazy world out there. Maximize this opportunity to do something really important and set yourself up for success uh, going forward from this point. Uh, maybe figure out how to make N95 masks. That would be a that'd be a good one. All right, thanks guys. Hope you're having a good time. Stay safe.